Hold on. Maybe they'll turn it off and on again. It's kind of what we're trying to do with the world, isn't it? At the moment, yeah. Society is being turned off and on again. Like the the pandemic response is, have you tried turning the globe off and on again? We're not talking about coronavirus. We're not talking about it. This is not the coronavirus podcast. There's already a thousand of them, and I've listened to them all. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily, shake it over rice, and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. This is fun. We're back. We are. So I was saying you're one of the few people in the world who can know with confidence that you don't have coronavirus. Yet. 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 Because you don't explain what's happened. Uh, I've spent the last four, close to 17 days inside my apartment. Mm-hmm. Then you found out you might have been exposed to coronavirus and you had to self-isolate. Sorry. Well, I found out about four days into the self-isolation mm-hmm. that I may have been exposed to coronavirus and have spent the last however long it's been without leaving. I feel pretty lucky that, or uh, special that this is the first place you've come when you finished your isolation period. It is indeed. You came straight back here, straight back to the studio. <laughs> if we could call it a studio. I think we could. Okay. It's. We'll go with studio. I like studio. It sounds yeah. fancy if it's studio. Yeah, let's say it is a studio. Yeah. Um, it's it's carpeted. It is. And a studio there is air conditioning and a microphone. A studio is just this, but with carpet also on the walls, and someone else on the other side of a window, like gesticulating at their headphones and mouthing something, and you don't know what they're saying until you put your own headphones on. And then like, but then you unplug, and then you realize everything. You don't know unplugged. which port it's supposed to go into, so he has to open the door anyway. Yeah. Which you could have done from the start. And then you're like, okay, well, that one's bugged. Okay, everyone back to one. <laughs> See, we know what studios are. We do. I've been excited I've been excited to do this because we wrapped it up. We, we finished a, what we'll call a season. Yeah, kind a, of. A series. I, I feel it was more like an incarnation. Of exceptional themes. Yeah, I feel like we're doing more of like a Doctor Who model. Okay. Where it wasn't a season, there were multiple seasons where that was one way it exists. What if it's more like Top Gear, and now they've changed to the Grand Tour, and it's exactly the same, Yes, but it's not the same. Exceptional Thieves Grand Tour. That is a <laughs> perfect way to think about this. Because we're still Exceptional Thieves. Yeah. Not it's, changing any of the branding. The same people. Don't have the time or energy for that. Yeah. The same non-preparedness. I view this as like a, like a special mini-series with many episodes. It's in it. not very many <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, quite a large project. But I was finally... I felt like doing this because I wanted to do something that's nothing to do with coronavirus. I like that idea. It's affecting every aspect of our lives. Currently. If Currently, you're listening to this soon, yeah, coronavirus is in full swing. It's going, it's going to for a while. Isolation is a thing. Uh, Stay at home, guys. The podcast that Nathan and I do together, Marriage and Children, because I'm getting married and he's having the child, who 
doing a series of 12 episodes, go check it out. Uh, it's not out yet, but it'll be out soon. I'm trying to do more cross-promotion. <laughs> I like the cross-promotion. I'm okay. Um, that's very much about coronavirus because we're talking about how much it's impacting the likely postponement of my wedding and the chaos is introducing into his, you know, flailing attempt to have a child. How many episodes thus far have you recorded? We've done three. We're doing one a month. Okay, and not released any? No, I'm going to start releasing them all soon. Okay. But I'm going to get a few banked first. Roger that. Um, so that's all, all about it. My work as a healthcare worker is very much about coronavirus. <laughs> Your life at the moment is very, very... Yeah, and pretty much every conversation I have with anyone, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of people, is like, hey, how are you going? Yeah, so what have you found out about the coronavirus lately? Did you hear about this? Did you see the penguins in the aquarium? That was cool. Um, so this is an escape. This is a way for us to get into a whole different headspace. What are we doing, Isaac? We are going to spend the next 30 weeks... Roughly. Roughly 30 weeks... Watching 28 to 32. And talking about, not necessarily reviewing, but having a chat about Daniel Craig's filmography. Daniel Craig! DC! DC. DC has made 30 films. Has he? We're really leaning on that number now. Sam has informed me that DC has made 30 films. I said about that. We are going to go with exactly 30 films. Okay. It would be great if it is exactly 30. It would be great. And his 31st comes out as, the, as his final Bond movie. Oof. That's our plan. Oof, our plan indeed, is to, to watch and talk about all of Daniel Craig's filmography leading up until the release of the next Bond film, which we're both quite excited for. Pause while Sam looks up the Google. I've got to count it again to make sure I'm right. He's counting. He's on a Wikipedia page. Surprisingly, the Wikipedia page is not for Daniel Craig. Yeah? Migration. Okay, so it's 38. Okay, he's made 38 films. We don't have time. Damn it. We'll have to do a couple of double bills. (laughs) It's 38 if we include Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, we don't include Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm really on the fence about it because it is an uncredited cameo. Yeah, we could Um, put things in. Like, for films that he's in for, like, two minutes. Actually, knock a couple of those out because some of them he... He does... Well, one of them is a documentary he narrated, so... Yeah. Guess we, we could we, do that. We just want... If we want to be completists... performances... Hey! From, Dan, from DC. He's on screen. He's got body language. He drops a gun. He says a line. He's in The Force Awakens. He is technically in The Force as Awakens. As much as... I mean, I don't want to go back to Star Wars as much as anyone else. But I... We love The Force Awakens enough. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah, I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> that we didn't say on our four-hour episode that we closed out the previous incarnation with. Um, so there's, there's some wiggle room there. So maybe 36... I think what we could do is... Throw some stuff in after a few of them and talk about a cameo that he's done. We can go back like little and, things. When yeah. we find something that matches with it, like yeah. if there's a sci-fi thing along the way, like, oh, he was yeah. in Star Wars as well. Bam. This oh. is how he delivered those three lines. I tell you what, we're cutting out a lot of... just scum. We're cutting out a lot of work for ourselves by not doing his TV background. There's oh. a lot more there. I hadn't even looked at it. He's, he's in two episodes of the TV show Zorro. Oh, I loved it. That was yeah. one of my all-time favourite shows that I never watched. Well, The Muscle Zoo is one of the best films ever made. I mean, that's well-known and established. It is a good film. Um, but how would we even find most of this shit? 
We wouldn't. Drop the dead donkey, whatever that is. He's in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. He's a great fit for that, isn't he? <laughs> yes. He's as perfect. Um, What's his character's name? Schiller. Heartbeat. Um, <laughs> Taylor. He's in Heartbeat. Yeah. Everyone yeah. In, in 1993. God. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, like lots of 90s Tales from the Crypt? Yeah. Oh, that's kick-ass. And then, like, once the 2000s get going, he's done with all this stuff. It's kind of like how everyone's been in the bill. At one point or another. Like, like Everyone's played a cadaver on CSI. Everyone's been a cadaver on CSI. Everyone's been loading the truck while talking to the detectives. (laughs) In law and order. Everyone's been a low life on the bill. If you're in Australia, you've been in Home and Away. Even if you don't know about it, you've been in an episode of Home and Away. I think I've been in accidentally a couple of times. Yeah. But you were most wandered onto set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was loading a truck while the detectives for all of our over, For all of our overseas listeners, Home and Away films in regular locations. Oh. They surprise us. I was like, hey, everyone knows what Home and Away is and how it works. Don't worry about it. Do Massive international audience. <laughs> He's got a voice role in three James Bond video games. Oh, anyway. sweet. Why, why, are we, why are we doing Daniel Craig? I don't know, Sam. Why are we doing Daniel Craig? What, what made Daniel Craig leap out at yourself to want to wanna review his wonderful, wonderful filmography? You know, it is a good filmography. There are a few things in this filmography that are good. Once I looked at it, I thought, oh, this is a combination of stuff that's very well known and very well received and stuff I've never heard of, <laughs> especially back in the day. Um, but he's someone who's, I find him a very interesting actor as he's actually great actor, quite difficult to place in a way. And I think that's why he's been so good. That's a bit loud, isn't it? I'm okay with it. If I turn it off, I'll get really hot. I'm okay with it. Should stop again. I'm okay with it. Okay. We'll just, yeah, but you don't have to edit the sound. No, we've got to leave a pause here so I can take that out. Hold on. Okay. A pause. You can edit yeah. out that sound. Have you got I can take the background nice. sound out. Look at you and your programs. Actually, can you just pass me the remote? Yeah, sure. Hold yeah. on. Maybe they'll <sighs> turn it off and on again. That solves all of our problems. It's kind of what we're trying to do with the world, isn't it? At the moment, yeah. Society like, is being turned off and on again. Like, the, the pandemic response is, have you tried turning the Sam. globe off and on again? We're not talking about coronavirus. We're not talking about it. This is not the coronavirus podcast. There's already a thousand of them, and I've listened to them all because (laughs) it's all I listen to on podcasts now. Oh, wait, hasn't started yet. Well, that actually kind of worked. No, it didn't. I'm okay with it. He's a difficult actor to kind of place. Which I think is what is... I mean, we'll get to it in our Bond episodes. Wait, and I think... But I think that is what kind of allowed him to reinvigorate that role a little bit. Because he's not a cookie-cutter leading man. No. Like, like think of your, your bland modern-day ones like Jai Courtney, Garrett Hedlund. Um, Would you call Jai Courtney a leading man? The lower-tier um, Hemsworths. Like they they they're a dime a dozen, ten a penny. Yeah. Other financial amounts. You look at Daniel Craig and straight out of the gate, you're like this guy has a very different energy. I think Daniel Craig is is kind of a theater actor. It feels like he would do well just doing theater stuff. 
He's got a very strong physical presence. Yeah. He's you always can, kind can, of sweaty and bleeding. You can see what he's thinking. Yeah, he's got he's got sort of big watery eyes and like pouty they're lips so and the face is just like they're coming so at you from a few different angles. It's so like extra blue. And yeah. especially in the film we watched extra blue. Yeah. Yeah, have they gotten less blue over time as he's gotten older? Maybe they're what's graying. They've turned nothing into... else on his body is graying. He's concentrated it all into his eyes. He has a weird like Dorian Gray thing where <laughs> only the eyes age. Still but got if he blonde hair, blonde pubes, mm. but gray if he eyes. ever looks directly into his own eyes in the mirror, then he will age. Because he hasn't aged that much. He like, had like from this, he looks exactly the same. From the movie we're going to be talking about today, 1992, like you can tell he's younger, but you know, no, that's. That's pretty much the same. How old was Daniel Craig in the filming of our film today? Good question. Computer enhanced. We're counting again. Like 33? Cool. So he's not a straight out the gate. No, well, that's... that's, See, a lot of of actors that everybody knows and loves and who have massive amounts of films, like Samuel L. Jackson... And Denzel yeah. Washington. These are all yeah. people that started to get known later. Yeah. And what we would call later. Yeah. And if you're like us, you started watching movie and movies in the 90s. So as you're concerned, they're just what movies are. So you imagine they've always been in movies. But actually, we started watching their movies as they started to be Coming in them. Out, yeah. And yeah, it all started much later in life. Whereas now, it's a lot more common for people to be in these sort of Hunger Gamesy Divergent. Crap. What is it? The, uh, those run, maze runner young adult yes young adult fiction yeah. has become much more prominent and that's led to the glut of young adult twilighty movies which probably means we're getting a lot more younger actors coming through in these and sort like, of trashy roles don't get me wrong a lot of a lot a lot of young actors are very good oh well, well very yeah. good but there's a lot of not good films of, that they're oh, put in and it's much more confident to become sort of starlets like famous now. But it's yeah. obviously some of them shine through, like Jennifer Lawrence or the chick from True Grit. Yeah, the chick. Whatever her True name Grit. is. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering. Zoe. Other ones. Zoe? Yeah, that sounds like something. It is Zoe, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Zoe's something. That's not important. What's another really good podcast? child actor? Not child, but young actor recently. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Yep. Timothy Chalamet. Yes. Absolutely. He's very good. Can't, yeah, can't, yeah. No, S- yeah. Sarah Ronan. Yes. Sarah Sher- Yep, absolutely. However you say that one. Yeah. And the other bloke who she's dating in Grand Robert Lewis. Pattinson. <sighs> He's Batman. Uh, it's, it's looking good. It is looking so good. Did you see the car? Yeah. Oh. It's a proper car. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's oh. not like a tank that's also a chopper that goes underwater. I'm so excited for It's that got more of like a Knight Rider vibe it to totally it. totally does. Which I like. You know, I haven't even seen The Lighthouse yet. Me neither. Me neither. Because um, this sort of people st- pandemic thing that we're not talking about started. Yeah. People still won't shut up about it. <laughs> Who do you talk to? Well, I'm not talking to anyone. It's just online. Oh, okay. So people won't I'm stop not, typing about it. I'm not allowed to talk to anyone about it, Isaac. The <laughs> government said so. And I can't call them. I'm too nervous on the phone. I've, I've, I've received that no, no nervousness. But yeah, he's gone and started... Not, not that late, really, like 33, but... No, that's I'm, not too late. It's just, I think that's a cool age. Like, he's had a lot of life before this. Yeah. And obviously done a lot of acting and, like, training and whatever. I presume to then so. To begin a film career with... The power 
of one. Which is not about Daniel Craig's character. It really is not. Um, so this is the first movie he's in, 1992. Uh, I watched it last night. Did you? I watched it today. Okay. And... It's fresh. It's fresh in my mind. Out of the Gate? Yep. Good film. Yeah. I'll say that Out of the Gate as well. I'll say that to anyone listening. I endorse you going and watching this film. Because we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Yeah. So... Like, it's it's nearly 30 years old, so I don't feel guilty in any sense about spoilers. Well, no, but I... But you should watch the film. But I'm, I'm saying... It's a it's a good experience, and I really yeah. had no. And I, as I was watching it last night, it's it's long. It's like it's over. So it's over two hours. Two hours and seven minutes. And uh, but I was watching it, and I think I actually said out loud to Emma at one point, like an hour and a half in, I was like, "I'm really enjoying this film." <laughs> Can I just say, like, I'm very genuinely engaged in this 1992 movie that I would never have watched. <laughs> If I was not doing well, a Daniel a film Craig filmography podcast, the power of one doesn't seem like it's going to be great. Well, you—that name tells you nothing about the film. <laughs> not at all. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and they and it, they just pull it out of the air and they try to make something of it with those ending credits, where it's like, yes, as always, the only thing that but will really say about like the is ending when lots credits of people come together. Is the power of one the one thing I didn't like about the film? Was the okay. opening and ending credits. Credit, as in like the text that goes as up on screen? As in the text that comes up on screen. Because at those two points, and throughout the film there are moments, but it doesn't matter because it's in the film, mm-hmm. but those two points just feel so preachy. Yeah, it's those points And as much are... as you support what they're preaching, you don't need to put that at the start and the end of your film. The preachiness and sort of saccharine nature of those two... Um, what the hell do you call those? The opening scroll and the closing <laughs> scroll are, are from a much worse movie than this ended up being. Yes. Those feel and look like they came from a Hallmark film. Yes. A much cheaper Hallmark like movie. Like The Librarian. Yeah. So Daniel Craig gets... He comes out of the gate with The Power of One in 1992. Um, I wonder how he got onto it. I'm always interested... I'd love to know how stuff gets started, especially when you're that little bit older. It's not like you've gone, it's not like you've been discovered and been in movies when you're 18. You're 33. What was your life like before that? And how did you, because he wasn't like what, what, what theater show or something was he in that said, and someone watched it and they were like, man. Yeah. I want that guy to play my blonde-haired, blue-eyed villain. Yeah, because his TV work starts the same time as well. He's not in TV before 1992 either. So he's just come out of school probably. In fact, well, no, he's 32. Yeah, but people go to school late. Okay, I'm going to have to look at the internet then, aren't I? Ah, well, the internet works for me. But, like... Just fill, just fill time. Fill time? What do you want to talk about? Um, the Power of One? Um, do you watch to any my good... knowledge, it is based upon a book. Watch any good movies in quarantine? I watched like the Power of One. Quarantine? I didn't watch Quarantine. I've been playing a Two lot on of the nose, games. too close to home. I've been playing a lot of video games and doing arts and crafts, actually, for the last two weeks. And they've been quite fun. Oh, yeah. At the age of 16, he was accepted into the National Youth Theatre. He left school and moved to London, where he worked part-time in restaurants to finance his training. Later, after multiple attempts at auditioning for drama schools, he was accepted at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, graduating in 1991, after three years of studying under, obviously, Colin McCormick. Obviously, um, Colin McCormick. Who uh, is dead now, but he I can tell you, Isaac, that he was a Welsh actor who enjoyed success in classical stage performance and television shows, including BBC's 
Uh, Is it the Dixon Bill? of Doc Green. <laughs> it's not the Bill? Oh, damn. A show he returned to 20 years later where he played a police constable. Um, he also appeared in several feature films during his so career. So he had a youth. He had a youth in training. And then he starts acting and gets a role in The Power of One. Colin McCormack was not in the bill, but We're he was not in... not talking about Colin McCormack. But he was in Doctor Who, which is the other <laughs> oh, one. Oh, the chances. <laughs> if you're not it, you're in one or the other if you're a British actor. Or an actor who spends some time living in London. So I guess he's just graduated from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and he's, boom, straight off with this film role. Gets a good film role. So and it's a good film The Power of One, based on a novel by Bryce Courtney, which isn't someone I anticipated to be talking about <laughs> anytime soon. But apparently quite a popular book, because I mentioned this to a friend today mm-hmm. that I was watching this film. He's like, oh, based upon the book? I'm like, <laughs> yes, actually, it is. Oh, you mean based on the well-known novel, The Power of One, by Bryce Courtney? <laughs> yes, Bryce I Courtney's do. Film, books are all set in Africa. What is your um, connection with Bryce Courtney? I've never read one. <laughs> But you know of him. I know of him. I've seen the covers many times. Yes, is one of I, like uh, like yeah. That's a really nice cover. Looks like a good story. Really long. Really, really long. long. Yeah. And like I like I love I love myself a story. Yeah. I love myself a story. Yeah. Well, you're a storyteller at heart. But I, like. I I have not yet purchased or read a Bryce Courtney novel. No, it's one of those names that you you know. Because he's always, it'll be, probably not now, but... He's on a coffee table at your aunt's house. Coffee tables at aunt's house. Any hotel that has a bookshelf in the foyer, (laughs) there's going to be a few Bryce Courtney's Clive Custler, Bryce Courtney. Lots of, yes, alongside the Clive (laughs) Custler's, the Stieg Larsen's, the Joe Nesbitt's. And the J.D. Robb. Don't know who that is one, but Nora I... Roberts, uh-huh. who writes romance novels and stuff like that. Yeah. But her version of doing other mm. things is under a pseudonym. But interestingly, his novels seem to be not like those other ones, and that they're not crime procedurals. It's, and just, a, it's not just a, a life romance. drama about life in Africa. He writes life dramas. Yeah. Which, well, and we should foreshadow for anyone who's not going to watch the film and is just listening it's about a guy growing up in like 1920s then 30s 40s South South Africa Africa. Uh, white uh, uh, descended from English people so he's in conflict with the Afrikaners descended from German Dutch and other Mm -hmm. Europeans and uh, trying to uh, do what he can to navigate the sort of machinations of apartheid and as lots of Friends who are black Africans that he tries to help out in all sorts of different ways. That's sort of the, yeah. the overarching idea of the movie. And, yeah, life drama, as in it's the story of this one guy's life. We follow him for, what, up until he's 18, which yeah. he fits a lot in. in he does time. fit a lot in. And then you get to um, see, yeah, okay, he goes off and does... We not, don't need Not to, to Oxford, we don't I need, presume. He didn't go to Oxford. But... Spoilers. You don't... <laughs> we told you. He doesn't go to Oxford. <laughs> Boy, does he not. Well, he could later. Yeah. Maybe he just... He got a scholarship. Yeah. I'm sure they'd accept him. More spoilers. He gets a scholarship. To <laughs> <laughs> Which, surprisingly, doesn't actually... Like, it, he gives no effort into this whatsoever. Spoilers, there's racism. He's... <laughs> um, Ooh. There's some... Spoilers. There's some... There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of racism. And... But As did, I was, did it feel to you like a film that's made the white boy into the hero? Well, we definitely need to. We get do. To that. I will say, as I was watching, is this, that something we'll get to later? Um, 
Nearly. There's one point I wanted to make, and then we can get to that, I think. Okay. Well, one thing I was going to say was, as I was watching the movie, I thought, hmm, some real issues in this movie. Not the kind of shit we normally cover on the podcast. <laughs> we normally talk about Aquaman and the Christmas Prince. Aquamani. Uh, oh, the Christmas Prince. But so we're, we're delving, we're way out of our depth talking about this movie. Um, but I was, and I was thinking, watching it, yeah, it's a, it's a life drama, yep. which we don't get anymore. I think it's fair to say that this I think movie they make them, but we just don't see them. I think this movie doesn't get made today and released in cinemas if it's not a true story. Like that's what's crazy about watching this movie. Remembering it feels like a true story. Yeah, it feels so much like a true story. It has an. Like aesthetically, in terms of the way it's presented, it's the way true stories are presented now. It's a biopic about someone who never existed, <laughs> and that's just a little bit strange. Obviously, it's about real issues and real. Yeah, it's, it's about events like things that happen. It's experiences people would have had, but but these people are fictional. I can't think of a recent example that can compare to this. It's been out in theaters with big actors in it. Can you? No, like there would be things like. Saving Private Ryan and stuff like that, where they're fictional characters taking place. Oh well, yeah, but war. I think they go nineteen seventeen. I think do war, we discount war movies? War movies? Are, well, I'm talking about this. This is the story of someone's life, full story, and we never watch the story of someone's life unless it's an indie movie where it's mostly about people they're dating. But yeah, then at the like end, like Lady Bird or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you get coming of age stories, which I guess mm. this kind of is. Um, no, I don't. I can't. I can't recall a recent time, like within the last five years, of watching a film about a young boy turn mm. into a young man, turn into a man. And like, yeah. Like, and this because and this does feel very nineties. I feel like I used to watch movies like this. Very much so, early nineties in that Forrest Gump. Is this film, that's but a, for a little American? That's kid. exactly the reference point Emma made, mm. and I am on. I am on the record not liking Forrest Gump. You don't like Forrest Gump? Not you ain't seen Bad Boys too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I'm not going to write an essay about why it's an objectively bad movie or anything. I just don't really like what it's doing. That's fine. And I think it's kind of I, I I sense a kind of superficiality in it that you don't have with this movie. You don't. And, well, yeah, you don't. No, no. And I just think it's kind it's kind of a charming oddball movie that has got elevated to a cultural status that I think it ultimately doesn't deserve. That's all I say for Forrest Gump. Yeah. Okay. This movie has not been elevated to a cultural status it doesn't deserve because no one saw it and no one remembers it. <laughs> but they should. I think yeah. there would be a large population of people who do remember it. Maybe. It's interesting. Well, it's interesting because it was not well received. Re- well, there are parts of it that I think wouldn't be well received now. Yeah. yeah. Especially now. Well, do you th- do you think, watching this movie, that it... It thought it was a bit um, Oscar baity. Yes, Do you think I feel as though this film is filmed and designed to be like we are going to teach people some stuff. We're going to learn. Mm. People are going to be leaving the theater yeah. feeling yeah. what we're going to give them. I was trying to come up with more like specific reference points for it, but I just feel like I used to watch movies set in Africa a lot more <laughs> as a child and sort of as a, a young teenager. Last King of Scotland. 
Well, that's like 2007. I was going to say, I feel like Blood Di- Blood Diamond is the last one I can really remember. Yeah. It's set in Africa somewhere. Great film. Gra- oh, we rewatched it recently, just coincidentally. Could just Emma has never seen it. Daniel Craig as in- Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, he would have. Leo does great as well. Leo's accent is fantastic. Probably better than Daniel's in this film. Oh, bad accent. Good acting, bad accent. Yeah. It is one of the hardest accents to do it in the world. It is, definitely. I, can you do it? No. No, I can't. I've I, tried. I can only... Numerous s- times. <laughs> I can only say lines from Blood Diamond. <laughs> Some, sometimes I wonder if God will ever forgive us for the things we've done. That's pretty good. And then I realise... God left this place a long time ago. <laughs> huh? God. 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 Lift. You ever put my life in danger like that again? I'll peel your face back off your head. You see if I don't, huh? <laughs> That's all I can do. I can't talk in it. <laughs> I can just good. do lines from Blood Diamond. That's how you learn lines. That's how yeah. you learn accents you in general. A, you just you, you just repeat what somebody else does. You need an access phrase and then yeah. you can get into it. But Access phrase. Um... <laughs> this is my gateway phrase. Yeah, that's that's a better phrase. That's a better phrase. <laughs> gateway, gateway phrase. Um, yeah, I can imagine when they were putting it together, they might have thought, "Oh, this is or oh, this is going to be something." This is kind of the, this is the kind mm. of thing the academy likes. It's about issues, you know. There's a hero. Bad, sad things happen. The hero is white. The hero is white. We've got a real message. And male. And male. And blonde. Played by Stephen Dorff, who. Went on. Exactly. <laughs> I recognise this face. Like, I, I recognise like, the name. I know this. I know this person. Um, <laughs> but then he just... There, nothing happened after that. Like, he's been in stuff to the point where his his face lives in my mind. Yes. But, but he does nothing real came good. of it. And he does brilliant. And he does an amazing South African accent. Mm-hmm. And he is from Georgia. <laughs> After Steven this, he this plays is like his a vampire in the first Blade movie. Correct, Deacon Frost. That's where I know Stephen Dorff from. This is his like his first movie, and then there's just this was also his first movie. Pretty much, this film launched the careers of two, if not one, successful actor. And somehow he's just <laughs> it never really comes to anything. It's like World Trade Center, The Passage, Public Enemies, but like no. Massive role. Uh, the Iceman. Remember that one? No. Um, <laughs> and then lots of TV. Miniseries. Things like... And so I don't know how... There's been like there's been an ambient level of Stephen Dorff in my life the whole time. To the point where I saw his 18-year-old face. And I was like, oh, that guy. Yeah. But he was I don't have a memory of watching anything in his filmography. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maybe he's been in a lot of ads. Strange. And he must have thought this was going to be such a launching pad. John Gielgud's in it. It could have been. Morgan Freeman is in it. It could have been. Just those two title pages. That's what That's what lets him down. Yeah, maybe. It opens left. with that and people are like, oh. And then when watch it, it goes, oh. And then it ends with that and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. To the, to the point, we'll just talk about the film. Because, yeah. well, actually, how are we phrasing this series of podcasts? Because this it's film a- is not about Daniel Craig. Or no. Daniel Craig's character. This we... is just a film. Are we reviewing the film or are we reviewing Daniel Craig? We do both. We okay. talk about the film in general, but our focus, as always, is DC. DC. 
Love me some DC. <laughs> so let's work our way through the movie. Okay, so the movie starts with the little boy. Yeah, so he's... He's they... being born and then breastfed by someone who's not his mother. Yeah. And I did you find it strange that at each of his ages, the film was narrated by that actor? I liked it. So when he's a... He's what? Six, seven, maybe that actor, maybe younger. Six and seven. When he was got to be between the ages of six, starting school. Yeah, it's a six or seven year old being like, "Life was difficult then. <laughs> I was so alone. I, I, the lonely I, birds I woke, were circling. I woke to the sound of the rainmakers, <laughs> and it's fine. But it was just a little bit. I was like, "What perspective are you saying this from? <laughs> because your voice is the same. <laughs> I like it. See, when when I when I watched that first bit. Having read nothing about the film, I thought, okay, this is going to be a film about this one kid and all of the people he meets in the period of like six years or like however, like a small yeah. amount of time, so it can be narrated by this one. And this one little actor kid goes through it. Yeah. And but when it followed him and he aged, it like, changed the narrator. I'm okay with it though. Mm. That that was okay. Title page is less so. The narration stops as well, doesn't it? I only now realise because when he's 18, he's not narrating it. It just all sorts of happens. Not as much as he, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure there are parts of narration, and but so not a lot. He's born in South Africa, the country of South Africa, in like 1930 or something. Yeah. And everything is terrible all the time. Yes. So his mum is, is immediately unwell or something, and so he has to go to boarding school. And he's the only English kid there in a school entirely made of... White Afrikaners. Af- Afrikaners. Who are assholes to a man? Yeah, wall to wall dicks. Those people <laughs> from the get go. The it first really... bit you see of the school is the school principal yelling at them. Yeah, about the fact that... that they are better than every single other person. And he's the only English kid in the room, and guys <laughs> up there being like, "And the English bunch of." <laughs> Fucking bastards! What we will do is we will destroy them! And this is a six-year-old kid. <laughs> Just sitting there taking it in. Oh, it's like, okay. get me older. And then it immediately goes to a shot of, or a scene of, him being bullied by his classmates as well. Yeah, and they... So a kid who's just started school is then goes to get bullied by people who clearly are just finishing school. Yeah. So yeah. they are at least ten years older than They all kid. looked about twenty-five. And they all look like they could be in the OC. That's how old they look. Yeah. Get it? I did. I did. Yeah. I didn't um, get it. <laughs> um, and, and so, I, I, the one, the one, the bullying scene in the bathroom. Where when they gets all piss on him. Peed on. When the kid picked him up, there's a split second of, of moment where the kid who picks him up is like really careful with like he picks him up oh, real yeah. gently <laughs> and he walks away and the and the little boy's got his arm around his shoulder just so he doesn't drop like he carries oh, him gently oh. over to the corner and all the while they're yelling at this kid and i mean it's just not a believable scene because he is the cutest kid I know. in the world great actor as well cutest kid 1992 yeah i wonder where I mean, he, that's when like baby's day out came out did it probably okay i'm assuming I'll go with that you. That kid is not as cute as this kid. Yeah. He he must have been... He should have been a very successful cute kid in movies actor. Should have. He should have been Macaulay Culkin. That, I wanted that. Yeah. So I thought it was... I, just, I, didn't, I couldn't believe that anyone would bully him. Like, you have to be a sociopath to bully that child. Well, as it turns out... As it turns all out... All of these kids are sociopaths. 
So, okay, so d- we have to fast forward so I can make the joke I want to make. So they, then he goes back home to where he was. There's like a Zulu priest or shaman. So his, mu- his mum dies. So, his mum dies. Oh, yeah. So his life, everything is awful. And then it's like, everything's awful. Dead. He starts peeing in his bed yeah. and he's like scared of being bullied. His mum's died. And the way they tell him that his mum's died is the worst thing anyone could possibly do to a six-year-old. Which is walk up in the middle of the night. With a torch. Don't even try to wake the kid gently. Just say, your mum's dead, and walk away. What the fuck? Was everyone evil and crazy in the past, or was it just that way in stories? Maybe just everyone in South Africa who was white. Because this had a very sort of Dickensian feel to it, you know? Where... It had a very sort of Oliver Twist, David Copperfieldy vibe where yeah. as a child you are incredibly vulnerable and everyone you meet is going to really try to fuck with you even though you are a child. <laughs> yes. Even if not directly to like abuse you or anything, but just really be an absolute asshole to you. Like, Was that what people were just like? Or now do we just have better systems to keep those people away from children? Not you know, perfect systems. It wouldn't surprise me. But better systems. If, if that much um, literature features this as a massive theme, mm-hmm. then it's definitely a thing that's happening. Yeah, it must be. Or, like, there or was are... it a trope that didn't... No, well, no, obviously there was massive child suffering in the past. So maybe this is something that... Yeah. Especially in institutions like a boarding school. Exactly. Why would you do that? The teachers of that school were really phoning it in. They did not give a fuck about whatever those kids did. I, you can have a Nazi rally and start beating people to death. In like There were only like two or three bullying scenes. Thank God. But they're so loud. Everyone is yelling. How do teachers not come running? It teachers. Yeah, yeah. And like back when teaching was considered to really be something, not that it's not now, but back then... No, you, you were had, formulating lives. Well, back then you had a much greater sort of social position. Yeah. You wore big flow, black robes. It was kind of like what we now consider to be a university lecturer, that kind of role. That's what it was to be a high school teacher. You were a schoolmaster and you wore a, a cool hat, mm. kind of like what they're like at Hogwarts. Exactly. Hogwarts kind of brings that back. So just these without teachers, the racism. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it, no, it has that, but the main people don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's against the. It actually, like, in a really kind of on the nose, unsubtle way, has it? <laughs> At the end, we were like, okay, JK, we get it. Like, it's bad. Take it easy. <laughs> um, so they, he gets bullied. Do they all have to wear a, a band on their arm now? His mum dies. His mum dies from um, no- from, from novel sickness. Yeah. And he goes home for the funeral, um, gets a little bit of crying in, and then he tells his nanny, who breastfed him, mm-hmm. um, that he's wetting the bed and he's afraid of his bullies. And she goes, sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, and she invites a priest mm-hmm. of, yeah, so I can't remember what tribe it was, it was named. And he's, there's there's Zulus, awesome. aren't they? He's like a Zulu priest. The word Zulu was in my subtitles a bit, so I don't know if that's the subtitle person taking well, a punt or if that's a lot of them speak. Yeah, I just don't know how many countries. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Well, it'll be a lot of countries. They're speaking the local language. Yes, um, and this man comes and basically does a dance in front of the six-year-old, and oh, sort of doing cures a, him a and, and of his of his fear and gives him bravery and courage. And it's a in, cool scene. Like it's a really cool scene. Gives him courage in the form of. Him being able to a face chicken. up to a, an, an elephant. 
Oh, his But he gives him a chicken. He gives him a chicken and says, this chicken will protect you and keep you courageous. So, I mean, bless this priest's heart, sure, but he clearly does not understand what a boarding school is. (laughs) Because now you're just saying, here, child, here's your one friend in the world. Now you have no one, but at least you have this chicken. Take this into this school full of adolescents that all hate you. Nothing bad will happen to it. <laughs> and in fairness, at the beginning, the chicken's doing its best, squawking whenever Being kids come Being a guard near. dog? That was yeah, so good. That was great, which the film kind of presents as the chicken looking out for the kid. But I think the chicken is basically looking out for itself because it's read the vibe of the room. It's like, I'm going to get fucked up like, any I am second the now. the only chicken in this room. You never... If you're a chicken... You never want to be the only chicken in the room. <laughs> you don't. You really don't. You also don't want to be one of 10,000, because that's going to end badly for you as well. You want to be one of about 30 chickens. <laughs> so there's safety in numbers. You can blend into the background, but it's also not obvious you're all definitely going to get slaughtered. Jeez. That's the kind of chicken environment you want. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, so that's a ten and we don't need to go this there. chicken's on its own. He's like, this isn't going to end well for me. And, and it doesn't. And it doesn't because then the little boy's like, ev- ev- the loneliness birds were flying away. I had, I had mother courage, this chicken. Then, unfortunately, everyone around me became a Nazi. The <laughs> war the, kicks off. And Nazis become something. And, and all everyone, of these white boys decide that they're going to become Hitler youth. Everyone there is immediately a Nazi. Like, Straight away. They, no one even thinks about it. They don't think about it at all. They're like, yes, we are carving this on our arms. We love it. And it really kind of presents it as, you know, most of the Nazis, they were real shitheads anyway yeah. <laughs> to begin with <laughs> yeah. it's not a very sociological explanation it's like no just all the school bullies they just made an army and tried to take over the world that's what nazis was <laughs> that's, that's how it worked and we should say we've actually in a way already started talking about dc because his character well i think we'll leave that spoiler for later okay. when it comes in so have they're, i not the given el- that away yet no not yet okay. the eldest they'll never kid, piece that together the eldest kid who pissed on him and, like, has been bullying him since he got there, starts to lead this Nazi revolution in the school, and they string up his pet chicken in what looks to be the chapel of the school, and there are about 80 kids in there, all yelling at the top of their lungs in the middle of the night, yet the scene goes for almost 10 minutes, and no teachers enter. No. Well, he does right at the end. Yeah, but... After so much stuff After they've ceremoniously slaughtered the chicken. So they kill the chicken. He punches the little kid. He gets a a swastika tattoo on his arm. Yeah. Really shitty. And then he rubs the kid's blood over it. Gives a speech. He gives a speech about the fact that Hitler is going to save them all and send the English away and kill all the black people and stuff like that. And, like, it's terrible. And this kid who's clearly, like, 18 decides that they're going to kill a six-year-old because the six-year-old pushes him. Yeah. Yeah, they were they, Yeah, they were going to just murder they him. String they string him up and they're about to kill him and then somebody <laughs> knocks on the door. It's so... It is fucked up. It's, it's funny that old Golding thought he had to write all of Lord of the Flies to end at that scene. But he's like, we probably need to spend some time stripping the civilization away from these kids. No, you don't. No, just cut to it. They will, They <laughs> are ready to do that at the drop of a hat. <laughs> That's how the world works. Yeah. But, you know, it's all 
circular life. They feel justified in doing that because of the privations that were visited upon the Africana people by the British Empire. We invented the concentration camps, you know. Yeah. So think about that. Yeah. Think about that. That is exactly the kind of sort of contextual nuance that is really lacking in this film. <laughs> There's a real good guys, bad guys. There's a energy. very, very good guys, bad you guys. You know what the problem energy. is with the world, Isaac? Some people are bad. And you know how you solve that problem? Have with, some good guys. With good people. <laughs> good people have to fight them. And that's well, how you... And then when you defeat them and then you win. A lot of the times with, with the, the actual world, there are bad people. But bad people fight them. There are bad people in the world, but that's not the whole story. <laughs> but in this one, it kind of is. You know yeah. why those people became Nazis? Because they were... I'm really trying to avoid sea bombing here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, why, you know why people were Nazis? Because <laughs> they were dickheads. That's why. <laughs> they were already Irre- okay. Irremediably. Genetically. So, the... The scene of torture ends with a man opening the door. A man we've not actually seen before. He's a school teacher or something. I'm assuming. He walks in, slaps the eldest kid as the eldest kid comes up and hiles Mm. directly to this man who was not part of the meeting at all and clearly doesn't like that it's gone on. He's the first teacher at the school to show any sort of like... Yeah, I feel my my feeling is that he was just watching and he only stepped in because he realised they were going to have a legit killer dude. He's like, yes, yes. That's oh, enough. Well, if you murder him, that's a that's a me problem. So that's a, that's <laughs> at the enough. moment. This is, I'm proud of you, kids. I'm this proud all, of this, you. This is great. Next time, just rough him up a bit. Wet telephone book doesn't leave a bruise. There's a tip. Okay. Then he gets out of there. <laughs> he leaves that school. He gets out of the school somehow. What happens then? He ends um, up. He, he go, his grandfather comes home. And he goes to live with his grandfather and meets a man yeah. named Doc. Do we ever meet his grandfather? We see him in a car. And we see him visit them twice, I think. Okay. And then Doc... The grandfather is not a character in the story. No, because he doesn't know how to deal with children. Which you used to be able to say in the past. You did. (laughs) In the past. Now you can't send your kids away to grow up in another home. That's not how it works. You can't ask one of your mates to look after your grandson, (laughs) which is essentially what he does. That was totally a thing that people did, though. Like, you have an adolescent child, sweet, you're going to go live with Aunt, Aunt Susie for a while and grow up in the country, and then you can come back here when you when, yeah. when you finish school. No one ever gets to grow up in the in the country with... Someone. And you still call them mummy. No. Thanks, mummy. Yeah. Whenever that happens now, it's just like the opening chapters to a memoir about child abuse. <laughs> yeah. And that's legitimately where I was worried it was going to go for a second. Like, when he just teams up with Doc, this random elderly guy, like, and this is something that we are now primed to not expect to go well in yeah. the modern age. <laughs> but in these days, like, no, he's just a lovely bloke. And he just helps him and they he plant. Is, he's such a lovely dude. He's a lovely Plays guy. Plays the piano and, was, and they're, like, living their life together. I was waiting for awesome. it to go wrong. Because Doc turns up, he's got his donkey, Beethoven. He gets the kid to laugh. Yeah, and I was just waiting for the the voiceover to come in. It's like, unfortunately, shortly afterwards, he touched me. Doc was trampled to death by Beethoven, (laughs) who then felt so bad about it, he threw himself off a bridge. (laughs) I had to dig graves for them with my own hands. Then the loneliness birds came back. Then I was crushed under a flock of loneliness birds who (laughs) laid so many eggs they never found me. Well, no, I just got my arm stuck, so I had to so, 127 hours my way out of there. He lives... I'm typing this with meets, one hand. He meets Doc. Let me know if you want me to stop. 
No, you keep you, you okay. enjoy yourself. I'm just gonna keep talking. He meets Doc and Doc's donkey, and they live together on a farm somewhere outside of town where his grandfather lives. Kind of. Doc, another actor whose my whose face lives in my brain. Yeah, but I can see hardly anything that I've seen. He's in like the guy who you expect to see in like a TV movie version of like, um, like a like a like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, like a Jules Verne adaption TV movie. Well, I feel like he's someone who really belongs in that era. 90s? No, like 1930s. World War II-ish. Yeah. In a... You know, he'd yeah. be in... League any, of Extraordinary Gentlemen. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or... That's like 19th century, but whatever. Or like an enigmatic character in a Poirot. Oh, definitely. You know, that kind of thing. He does great. And so they're best buds for a while. But then the war the is war getting worse. is getting worse. And then the bloody British come in. And they're again, like... Hey, bruv, to the Doc character. Use German. Why didn't you tell us you were German when we met you? Get in this prison, innit? Get in the prison that has no bars. It's just a chain-link fence. It's a real low-key prison. It's, um, it's cool. The boy... I don't know if he lived there with him. No, he he um he got... He lives he nearby. He was allowed daily, un, unsupervised, un... Like, they didn't limit the amount of times yeah. this boy could visit. So every day after school, he would bring another cactus in. And this is where we get to meet young Morgan Freeman. Oof. Bald. Yeah. Young, bald Morgan Freeman. I was really enjoying going back to young Morgan Freeman. I mean, not young still. But no. Like, probably this like, is early 40s Morgan Freeman. He's probably 45, which to us is like, God, what a God. young slip of a thing. He is And he does cool. great. He does so great. So he's someone who's been in prison nearly his whole life. Mm-hmm. Is obviously... 40 good. of his 55 years is what, it's cl- good what it says. Um, is obviously brutalized and you know by the guards in all yep. sorts of ways. He's like the red character in Shawshank, a little bit, and that everyone sort of respects this one guy. He really found his groove there. Didn't he, he totally the <laughs> guy who's been in prison a lot for a long time and has that sort of like black American wisdom. Yeah, that they the, have in the, movies. The, the, the wise, the wise prisoner. Yeah, you can see you go to him for help. And, and so they they form a friendship. It's as, established that Doc is not racist, so now our hero isn't going to be racist because he's a little kid and he yep. sees role models now not being racist. He gets really into boxing. Morgan Freeman is training him how to be a boxer. Mm-hmm. Time cut, like five years. It's five years of, like, the war. Doc is in prison for the duration of the war. Yep. During the war, he's there learning how to box with Morgan Freeman. There's an inter-prison boxing championship. Which is badass. And the kid gets to compete for some reason, even though he's not in prison. I love the idea of everyone's running these prisons, but no one's really into it. Like, <laughs> sure, there's some guards there who are really into it, but overall... For I think the most part, people are just, yeah. The people in charge are like, yeah, sure, it's a prison, but, like, we don't really want to be doing this. <laughs> We're just doing it because we have to because of the war. So you guys do whatever you want, and let's just find a way to pass the time let's <laughs> be boxing championships you plant your garden over there let's make let's bring make a piano it you you want a piano yeah you can have a piano for yeah you. you seem like a nice guy so obviously i'm sure all sorts of, i mean i mean that's the perspective for the white european prisoners i'm sure <laughs> yes. it's very different for all the um black african prisoners uh, um and then it concludes with they Decide to teach. Um, so the, the kid learns to box, and he's yeah. really good at it. But in doing so, um, he forms you know a nice relationship with Morgan Freeman's character. Um, and part of his uh, coming in every day to visit Doc is he brings cactuses, and they're wrapped in tobacco leaves. And Morgan Freeman's character asks if he can have the tobacco leaves so that they can make smokes 
for the inmates because they don't get a lot of luxuries. And this forms a relationship with him, which then forms a relationship with all of the other prisoners, and they learn to respect this one young white kid. And this is where the myth thing comes in. This is in. where the myth thing comes in. Well, there's a myth of... I forget the details of the they myth. They call him the Rainmaker. There's a myth amongst the local African people yeah. of the Rainmaker, which is kind of a saviour... Who comes at the end of a drought, when there's been a long drought. And it's mentioned in the film that there's been a ten-year drought. Yeah. Um, so now we have a saviour. So now we have a saviour who only... happens to be a young white boy. So the only problem with that but is we... the race of that saviour. <laughs> we glaze over that and say this is a whole thing. <laughs> Morgan Freeman knows that it's just a myth and it's not real. Yeah. But he made it up because of hope. So there is a very... We... What we end up with here is a main character who's a handsome, young, white guy who's good at everything. He's very good at boxing. He's very articulate. He's obviously very morally upright and has very modern liberal sensibilities. He's good academically. He's getting a scholarship to Oxford. He doesn't really get into it much in this movie because there isn't enough time, but he's obviously going to be slaying bitches. He... Definitely slaying bitches. ...is a hero. Yeah. And... He's a hero for the large people. swathes of black African people. <laughs> and so that is something that definitely doesn't play very well today. If there is any way this movie um, saves itself at all, is that it clearly does have some awareness of that. Yeah, In like that- the characters who are close to what's going on mm. all know that this is bullshit and they're making it up because it yeah. will make everyone else happy. It's not that he comes into a situation... He in no way believes he's a hero. It's not that he comes into the situation. Because he can do something none of them can do, he saves them from their condition. Because he doesn't really save anyone from their condition at all. But he is actually kind of elevated to this... put on this pedestal through the agency of some of the black African characters who very explicitly say... I think we should try to make you into this because we'd be good for this reason and this reason. So it's arguably kind of a product of what they are wanting. So it's still not good, and it's still not the kind of story we should be telling now, <laughs> but at least we can say the film is at least trying to hedge its bets a little bit. Yeah. Of, say, of trying it to It doesn't just slightly... overtly give you this young white boy yeah. being the, the heroine. The opposite heroine. of this is... Um, what is it called? Did you see that? Did you see that Angelina Jolie movie Beyond Borders? No. So this is 2003, back when Angelina Jolie was getting really into being a UN goodwill ambassador, <laughs> and so she just decides that she's going to make a movie about how we should all help. We should all be helping, you know, Africa in it. And so in the movie, she plays a like American sort of suburban woman who hears about the famine on TV, and she puts on a white headscarf and gets on a Land Rover and turns up in Africa. And with she, like, pitches up at this famine relief centre and within 30 minutes she's, like, reviving a poor African baby with a bottle of whatever. And Clive Owen is one of the doctors there who's obviously brusque and, like, oh, welcome to the famine, Angelina. And she's, like, oh, culture shock. And everyone watches, like, this isn't what it is. <laughs> this is not what we're meant to be doing. And I feel like that is the epitome of like the worst impulses of this movie yeah. and when you compare it to something that's really gratuitous and superficial and entirely focused around elevating the sort of sanctity and you know of wonderful qualities of the literally white savior yeah although she is quite tanned <laughs> 
this film does stand up a lot better in that it's much more sort of contextualized and gentle. It feels gentle. so much more natural. It it's, feels like this is yeah. what these people would have wanted. It feels more natural in the, the gradations it steps you through with this character that puts him in that situation. And it's much more tempered. And there's mm-hmm. enough moments of him not wanting to do it. Like, there's enough moments mm-hmm. of him going, no, yeah. I don't... And that also, shouldn't be a thing that happens. He also doesn't do that much. No, he doesn't. What he does is... Because as the movie goes on, he, he does, like, a black-on-white boxing match. And then... Which they, is apparently illegal. Which is illegal, but then he become But it's sort of... And... Seen as, like, a positive thing for that local community in some way. And then they're convincing him to teach... To do a school teaching English and things like that. Mm. But his attempts to do that are very limited and constrained and kind of immediately shut down. So it's not like he comes in and solves racism. It's a much more sort of personalized and individual story. It, it, it but, tells itself in... It's 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 framed as though it's the start of a fight against racism. Yeah, it's it's where it's he's he could be one of the first white people in their location hmm. to start actively yeah. fighting against racism, which is an important element of the of of what, the, what been the movement racism. towards you know finally removing apartheid and whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's just this is the kind of thing. That Twitter would hate now. <laughs> yes, you, so Tumblr would hate Tumblr now. and Twitter would tear this to shreds, <laughs> and not entirely without benefit. But I think it's kind. Of, I think it's going to be one of the best examples of this. If if the, if like there was a weird terrorist that put a gun to your head and said you have to make a white savior movie, this is probably the best thing you could make. Probably <laughs> within yeah. that constraint of well, if I have to make a white savior, I'll do this. I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, he won't succeed that much, and there'll be... Yeah, so... <laughs> that. That's great. All right, and now we get to the point where he's... He has his boxing match, um, wins it, the myth has begun, and then he's built up a nice rapport with all of the prisoners, who are from different tribes, yeah, so and they don't like each other very much. That's probably the most white savory part of it, that he heals the divide between the But I like it tribes. because everyone there sort of respects him because they respect... Morgan Freeman, like that's see, yeah, like it it's, always. It's Morgan Freeman said to them all, "This kid is really like yeah, be nice." Because to the Morgan kid. Freeman is seen as a fi- authority figure by them. Yeah. He endorses Stephen Dorff, and then <laughs> he's able to. So and and so Stephen Dorff starts conducting the choir. Yes, so they make a choir. They and write I a presume, song. Presume I can only assume that Stephen Dorff has never seen or been told what it looks like when someone conducts a choir. No, that wasn't very realistic. Because he is moving his arms from his shoulders to no rhythm at all. <laughs> he's he looks like he's trying to wave down an ambulance. Stop saying it so loud, guys. This is wrong. wrong. This is wrong. Yeah. You're doing it wrong. If I was in that choir, I'd stop as soon as he did it. Oh, sorry. What are we What? Mike. What? Sorry? I mean I'm not I don't speak English, expert, I'm sorry. But I've seen conductors conduct. <laughs> I don't think it's that. Um, but there's obviously beautiful singing. They try and fuck with the guards because it's in their local language, but they're saying things about how so the guards are afraid. So they say that the guards are afraid and stuff in the song. So all all the uh, 300 inmates are all having this great time singing this song. Meanwhile, Morgan Freeman's character was just dying his shirt so he could look really good for the concert, which is <sighs> Morgan awesome. Fre- what is it? Um, Gil Pete is Morgan Freeman's Giel character's Pete. name. And Gil Pete really... Put himself in a in a foolish situation there. Like, you come to, on, why would you stay alone? Never be on your own. You don't. You, you don't it's do the ch- it, it, like chicken rules. You want to be in a group of thirty chickens. 
Chicken rule. This, in a very unsettling way, really works as an analogy. <laughs> um, so he... Because we haven't established there's an evil guard played by Clive Russell, who's Brendan Tully from Game of Thrones, the guy who never the give up. Um, who's an evil English uh, guard. And he's, he's, a, he's an Africana. He's, he's not Is English. he? Oh, yeah. in, my, in my memory, he became English. But he's because he, the prison is not yeah. run by the English. The prison is run by the Afrikaners. But the English are in charge of the prison. Yes, prisons. that's why they're so nice. All their prisoners. That's why the English. The English are really nice. Well, nicer. Um, but and he's fucking with Gilpete every step of the way. Mm-hmm. He gets Gilpete on his own. He hates the fact this choir's going on, and he asks Gilpete what they're singing. Yes, and Gilpete tells him. He does. I mean. I don't want but to get I into think, nitpicking does plot it, holes he, in a story about apartheid. I'm just saying, he does it make because, something up. Because of pride. It's like, this is what we're singing. This is what we're singing. Like, uh, yeah, but I feel like, like there... He knows. When he, when he tells him the actual lyrics, yeah. which are making fun of the guards, he knows he's going to die. Yeah. Like, in that context, when he says to him what's actually going on, he must know, you know what, I'm... I know you're going to beat me to death when I say this, so I'm just going to say it. But I didn't get the sense that Gil Pete was ready or wanted to die, which you could have set up because he's been in prison his whole life. He's not a young man. Maybe he's like, I'm done with this. This is a nice like finale. We did this concert. We've had this moment. I just want out. This moment of playing the stereo throughout the show. My quality of life is very low here. Puts the music on. Yeah. But... It wasn't like that. So when he starts telling them the lyrics, like, no, just say anything, Gilpie. Just say anything. So, we are strong and everything is fine and the guards are great. They're very fair and reasonable. Yeah. See, <laughs> yeah, but then see the guy would have killed is? him anyway. <laughs> maybe. The guy would have killed him. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's like, there's no way out of this. Yeah. So, so fuck you. I'm going to tell you. gets beaten to death. Gets beaten to death. Um, Stephen Dorff gets... It's not Stephen Dorff yet. Should stop saying it. He gets to him. He, get, he comes over and cries over him. For the kind of, like... People die. People Slowly. used to die different in older movies, where you could get sort of beaten up and then just kind of keel over. Yeah, I feel like now we're, we're more exacting. We're like, I need to know specifically why this they're is dying. A, well, he died of internal death. Yeah, he yeah he died of novel sickness. Yeah, well, which people get a lot n- novel beating. <laughs> he got beaten. If only it were novel, Isaac. Unfortunately, he I got, think it happened quite frequently. He got beat. He got beat down. He got hella beat by a black stick. Then the war ends, so now they're deporting the Germans back to Germany. So Doc's out. Uh, one of the least traumatic departures of a character in this movie, it has to be said. Yeah, he just he just goes. And, and we then, don't get to really see it. He's like, so Doc went home, and I went here. <laughs> yeah. So then Doc was gone forever, and I never saw him again, ever and ever again. <laughs> then we shoot forward another five or six years, and Stephen Dorff... The actor. The Dorfinator. Enters. SD has arrived. He's graduating school. SD Ready card. to go off to Oxford. Yeah. The, he, he gives this awesome speech. Turns out he's great at school. And it turns... Oh, that's why it's not narrated at the end. The last half of the film is not narrated because the first half was him narrating that speech that he gives oh, in that class. Because he gives a speech to the teacher about his thing. And this is when that guy died. And then he closes the book. And he gets a really great mark for it. And then... From John Gielgud. At the end of that scene with John Gielgud, John goes, did justice ever get served to the dude who beat him to death? And he goes, yeah. He was found hung up in his cell. Like, 
got strung up by probably the, all of the prisoners. Just was it probably meant to be that? that or was it meant to be he hung himself? Because I know he wasn't a happy man. It wasn't. Him, but I think I think it's meant to be the prisoners hung him. Okay. Because he obviously nice. killed one of their friends. Yeah, because they'd have known that and that would have pissed them right off. Damn right. Yeah. Would have pissed me off. That yeah. guy was getting them the tobacco. And then and John Gielgud then says to Stephen Dorff, an ideology that needs to attack the thing that least threatens it is an ideology that will not outlive its generation. Ooh. Can you imagine if one of your high school teachers said that? That'd be so good. <laughs> off the top of their head, as in this is just how we talk. Like... <laughs> This is what teaching is. It's me coming up with analysis like that and just saying it to you. That is better than anything any teacher ever said to me. <laughs> Why don't Ooh. people say stuff like that anymore? There were some good... T- I had some good teachers, but I had nobody some ever good said teachers. anything like that. I had that. some great teachers and they made a real big impact on me. I'm sorry, guys. You weren't tossing off lines <laughs> like just, that. You're dropping the ball on everything now. You, you weren't talking... Yeah, you weren't Yeah, talking like an essay. Um, <laughs> but, but see, that's yeah. probably a speech he said to several people. Yeah, probably. That's it's probably a line. He'd, he'd have like five lines. Probably there's a few things he says every year because every year it's <laughs> like, a new audience. Oof. Yes, that's good. That fits. Yeah. I like it. It's like stand up. Be like, these guys haven't seen me before. I can do some old material. <laughs> but a great line. Yeah. Great line. And now we've set up the fact that Stephen Dorff is now 18, 17, 18, still boxing. Still hella good Still at boxing. It. Still great. And then he meets his girlfriend. That, the most um, redhead freckled person you will ever see. And as Emma said at the time, that hair volume. <laughs> yes. She runs through the rain for about 30 minutes. Her hair's not even wet. Nah, well, it's it's wet. It's wetted. I don't think it is because then she wouldn't have that incredible volume. Maybe her hair is so thin. It's like the hangover. It's a little bit hangover of eighties permy hair, isn't it? It's still it's so hair is still big in the early nineties. We haven't got the Rachel yet, so it's still big. <laughs> um, and he does a bit of a what light through yonder window breaks. He climbs a balcony and yeah. like some good. St- there's a, some good courting. Yeah, some, yeah you don't get that in movies anymore. A good little bit of courting happens. The, he takes her to a boxing match that, that was, he's fighting against the black guys. That was another one of the bits where I was like. We're just watching him <laughs> court this girl. <laughs> and the payoff is they're together. <laughs> There's no... There's like, In their relationship, there is... The, like, in that little 20 minutes of courting... There's a whole rom-com that takes place where yeah. he, he falls in love. She can't do it because her dad hates him. Like this, Then she decides, oh, I'm going to sneak out anyway. Thank you for this lovely evening where I watched you beat up a mm. black guy um, in front of... An entire a, village of people. In a boxing match. In a boxing match. In like a slum area. That was a cool scene though. Yeah. Like the reason for them going on the thing is like if I beat if um if I beat you, then mm. I will be the hero of my people and I'll be able to mm. like bring us up and give us hope and stuff. But if you beat me, then you'll still be the rainmaker in this myth and we'll we'll build you up so and then win, you can win. bring us win win. And I thought that was kinda cool. That I really like that that, that the guy he was boxing with was really in even though he, Stephen Dorff, was the sort of white saviour figurehead, that guy, in the same way Gil was... like, I can use you so much right now to help my people. architect of the situation, yeah. and it's clearly like someone who's really active in sort of helping his community. And so it's not... It's, it's not about like, Stephen. It's, it's almost, not about Stephen. It's almost like he, the... I forget that character's name. PK. Or no, the, 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 the guy he's boxing with. Mm. Can Sam get it quickly? No, I don't know what all the names are. It's too unscripted. Um, he 
is kind of the architect of the whole situation mm. where he kind of finds Stephen Dorff. He's like, you know, you could be a really good white saviour for us. <laughs> so come over here. And it's run, go, go, go jogging with me. And then him? like, so good. Like, oh, you Stephen, need to do this because it'll make all of us so happy. Stephen oh, Dorff's like, really? Like, yeah, no, I think it'll be good. And now teach English. And he's like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> and he guilts him into it. It's so good. It's like, mm. are you really going to run away? But now... Actually, and so actually, is it after the boxing match? PK jumps over the wall to wherever he's going, back to wherever he is. And lives. we get to meet DC. Camera pans to DC <laughs> in his car, oh. spying on him. And when he came on screen, Emma and I realised we'd both completely forgotten why we were watching this film. <laughs> oh, he's in it. Because it is like two thirds of the way through. Oh, so and then I, I was like, oh yeah, Daniel Craig's in this. <laughs> Great. And he returns as. The oldest kid at the school who carved a Nazi swastika into his arm and pissed upon PK. And killed the chicken. And killed the chicken. So that... He's back. Psychopath who became a Nazi and obviously didn't go to war. Mm. Just... So he is playing a kind of henchman villain with the main villains being the girl's dad. And the other, like, main police people. The police. But the girl's dad He's a really... sergeant of the police force. Yeah. And he plays what you would call a henchman villain. Like, and... you wouldn't call Stephen Dorff the hero. You wouldn't call him the main villain. No. Yeah. And so... And so, obviously, everything that Dorfinado is doing is illegal. Uh-huh. To be fighting non-white, to be hanging out, to be teaching them English. So... Daniel Craig's gotten banged to rights, and he's like, I'm going to fuck these guys up. And he's, so he's obviously real sad because Nazism didn't work. Obviously. You would be hurt. Wouldn't you? When I was watching them all get so excited at the beginning, I was like, oh, you're all going to be so sad. <laughs> you're all either going to die or be sad and annoyed forever because this is not going to pan out at all. Um, so he's sad and annoyed forever um, and probably traumatized by the war if he was in it. And so, because he might have been, because he was he just about gone, old He enough. was old enough to go away, but I like to think that he didn't. I like to think yeah. that his dad beat him and sent him to live in the barn, wouldn't let him go anywhere, yeah. and then he became a cop. He says that at one point. He yeah, yells his it dad in front of said loads of people, which because, is because of the yeah. fact that they got caught trying to kill him, he blames the kid for he his like father then expelling him and having to live in the barn. So maybe his whole life's been a bit of a disappointment. And now he's found Stephen Dorff again. PK. Yeah. Which had never really, didn't really establish, like, was he trying to do that? Is no, he's just there. He's just like, ooh. Because if they, they, they must have been close to where the other one is this whole time. Yeah. Anyway. We don't get to, we don't get to care about that. Daniel DC Craig bursts onto the scene and into our lives hmm. with a great role. A great role. A really hella racist. Yeah, like racist. That sounds bad to say racist, but also evil. But he's all like he is like racist, <laughs> which is bad. And on top of that, he is a complete sociopath. Yes, very much so. <laughs> who will do anything? <laughs> and um, it's interesting because he's only in like what the back third of the movie. Yeah, and, but, but he really at dominates that point, it. The progression just it just kicks off. And His like- character is every scene. He is turning up. He's beating people up. He's he's. Yep. Screwing with what, everything they're trying and to do. And while um, uh, other boxer is attempting to build this mythic rain rain man with Stephen Dorff, rain and like they're doing 
doing all this awesome stuff. Rain Man's and, another like, movie. Rain Man is another movie. And they're trying to teach people English and like he's not guilt tripping, but saying it's the right thing to do. And Steven's character is like, yeah, it is. I'll, I'll help you as much as I can. And his friends are all in it and his new, his new squeeze is in on it. And yeah. they're like trying to teach these kids. They do it at school once. And then DC obviously dobs on them mm-hmm. and they get shut down. And they're not allowed to do it at school. They threaten to burn the entire school to the ground within an hour if they don't say that they'll stop. <laughs> That's fucked up. There's a lot of really extreme reactions to a lot of things <laughs> in this film. Um, we get to see a new squeezer's dad hating on hating on everybody. And yeah, just, yeah. Just well, he hates to be he hates Dorf because he's English, and obviously he's very racist as well. Um, and we think- get to see her give a nice little. Um, there's that moment of him, of her inviting him to her school prom yeah. and being, and he's like, yeah, sweet. And then he gets like this awesome idea of mm. helping to teach English and he goes, but this is important. And she goes, well, I just don't get to go to my ball now and runs off. And there's that little bit of like, yeah, schoolgirl drama and she runs off, but then immediately she fixes the situation by speaking up against her racist parents at yeah. a dinner party. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I think... It, 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 it was fine, but a lot happens in the back third of the movie, and it did feel a bit rushed. Enough for an entire film. That back third could be a couple of films, and they spent so much time on him as a little kid. But I feel like... I feel like there's too much time yeah. on the little kid. There's a lot of time with the little kid. And there's a lot of time with the middle kid, but the middle kid was more important than the little kid, even the though the little kid, kid got pissed on. Yeah. The middle kid has its whole story. The Morgan Freeman is only in the middle kid bit. Yeah. He dies at the end of that middle third, and there's the whole um, uh, prison choir storyline. So that's a film in and of itself as well. So yeah, we could have cut a bit of that kid bit I think they probably what I like... think you could have done is done it instead of three kids just do two and that middle kid could have been at a boarding school got pissed on etc etc ran away to dock learned how to box the same kid in the yeah. same year and a half I guess and then five years later yeah. it's here yeah what I what I really liked with this film and again it's something I haven't don't feel like I guess I just don't watch a lot of these kinds of movies or seek them out because my taste is too trashy but Films like this, like that are a life drama, where you start to get the film communicates a sense of the scope of just one person's life and how many people you do actually affect. How many people you affect? How much happens in one person's life? If you really even stop this and, amount of time to, in one to, person's life, yeah, he's only eighteen, but and there's a way to tell someone's life story where it's kind of sort of diminishing, like, well, yeah, sure, everyone's got a story, but then. Everyone's own life feels epic to themselves. Like when you think back on how you were at other stages of your life, at a certain point, it starts to feel like, wow, so much shit has happened. And I've been like different kinds of people a couple of times. Like you look at that five year period of my life, there's so much in there. That could be a movie, you know? <laughs> and I think everyone's life feels could to it? them. Could it? I've had, a, I've had interesting bits. There have been. I mean, not every year. I mean, no, I mean, sometimes you'll skip that. There'll I mean, be a montage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In my biopic, we're not going to spend that much time on 2011. I'll be honest. But <laughs> there's been other years. Where you're gonna, but my point being, that sense of one life, without that life being Nelson Mandela or, you know, 
incredible, incredible. Without their life being a person who clearly has affected so many people. Yeah, it's just, just a regular person. It's just epic from the perspective of you within that life. I feel like this film communicates a lot of that sense of epicness you can have with one life when you really sink into it, and that's what this film really does. And I think it builds that by spending so much time in those early and stages. It, I think that the earlier stages are so slow paced and so slow. And the start of this of the third of the third act mm. is slow paced and it's like, yeah, you just live in this guy's life. Mm. And then when it all kicks off, you get 10, 20 minutes of just mm. shit happening. Yeah. And then it finishes. Yeah, but I think it worked for me pacing wise, even though it probably shouldn't have done, but it worked for me pacing wise. By the time everything starts to kick off at the end there and he's you know, he's an adult and he's doing stuff, he's eighteen, but he's doing stuff. You're very invested because In you've gone his through reasons all this other for doing stuff. things. You understand why he would say that and why he would decide yeah, that. You've really sort of inhabited that character. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I guess now we've really tra- these these kind of stories have transitioned a lot more to T V. Yeah. Now, prestige TV is how you would tell this kind of story. You wouldn't do it in a this movie. This would be a HBO series. And now, if, if I think if we heard this pitched, we'd say, oh, well, that should be a TV show. It would be stupid to try to cram that into two hours, do it as ten episodes. Whereas I think this shows, no, you can effectively do something of that scope in two hours if you just structure it and write it appropriately. And if you put Daniel Craig at the end. Because that makes everybody like, oh, shit. Shit. This guy's good. I wonder what people thought of him when they saw him in this. If it made like, any man, effect. that's believable. He's got a lot of, he's, he's a big energy on screen. There's a scene at the beginning where like he's in the room and his boss is in the room being angry about what he and found out. And he's just out. standing behind him. And he doesn't him. say anything. He just does these sort of like evil smirks with his big eyes and lips and whatever. And like, that's good not talking acting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Daniel Craig does a good job for a first film. He does, like, yeah. Again, yeah. bad accent. Not terrible accent, but bad accent, but good accent. There acting. are moments where it's a good accent and moments where it's Daniel Craig saying stuff. I say bad accent because a lot, a lot of the time I was going, what is his accent? <laughs> I was like, is, is he, he British? When I figured out he was the kid from before, I was like, okay, well, I guess he's Afrikaner. When did but... you figure out there was a kid before? Straight well, to the tap? Well, Straight tat, first, I got confused by that because Emma saw that. It's like, oh, the tat. But I thought they were cutting the swastika into their arm, not tattooing, because they were bleeding. Yeah, you bleed when you get a tattoo. But not that. To my eye, it looked like it was a knife, so it was going to scar. Like, oh no, they were they, they, like at that scene. It. There was so I thought that it was, was like just, really shitty fake blood that they clearly uh, wiped on. I thought that was just showing that he was a Nazi, not that he was that guy. But then I was like, oh, okay. Because it seemed just a little too trite that he was that guy as well. I would have been happy if he was just a police officer. Oh, it would have been fine if he was just a racist. Like, it was a little bit too But I Hollywood. like that it was that. Like, it was, it's not just a racist. It's the worst it's racist. It's that guy. He peed on a little kid. And then... That's the worst thing. It can't, It's one of that's, the worst things you can do, isn't it? That's such a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Just piss on a little kid. Like, what won't you do if you'll do that? <laughs> if you do that, there is no end to what you want. You, that's... Imagine a world... And cup for the rest of his life. Imagine a world filled with people like that, and then they get the chance to be Nazis. <laughs> oh. oh, shit. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm glad that they didn't win. And then at the end... So they, they teach... They decide, they, they, they decide they're going to start a school. They decide they're going to start a school. Daniel hates this idea. They move the school from the school to, to a church. Daniel brings the cops there, and they beat up a whole lot of people. And in doing so, um, PK's new squeeze pushes him out of way to save his life, and someone smacks her on the head with a nightstick. 
she dies. She dies. Maria Murray is Ooh. her name. And she dies. So Daniel, Daniel, because no, that's um, I remember people again. People used to be able to die easier in films. You could like just, that's how you die in real life. Like people would die from getting head. If you hit. get fully truncheoned on the head, I guess you can. You could death die, but you don't like fall to the ground like with your eyes open, like no, your heart has stopped. Like it takes a while because the blood has to go into your brain and increase pressure. Yeah, but so she dies because everyone. There is a tra- there's like a tragedy every ten minutes in this at film. At the end of the film, yeah. No, every ten minutes. You reckon? There is a ten minutely tragedy. <laughs> okay. Mum dies, chicken dies, going to prison, Gil Pete dies, Doc's gone back to blah blah blah. Can't was well, not a tragedy, can't go out with old love. Then she dies. Then I can't remember why. They win something. I really I sorry. I re- Isaac is yawning, guys. Like a lot. He's very worn out by leaving the house. It's crazy how much I've yawned in the last 20 minutes, his, and I can't stop, and it irks me. His muscles, my drink is downstairs. His muscles have atrophied. He's <laughs> very overwhelmed by the stairs he had to climb to get here. It's like, it's like he's just woken up from the Matrix. The scene straight after her death. I think it's pretty cool, because it's just the, fa- the racist family funeral. at the funeral, and she's being buried... And Stephen, PK, and the students of the school are over the other side. They've come. Dad, he meets, Dad sees him. He's like, oh, picks up a shovel. Picks comes up over a shovel. Him, gets within like two feet and is about to swing. There was like 50 people around. He's just still ready to just murder, murder this, this kid in a cemetery. And then like he gets stopped by his friends and they're just there facing off against each other. And Stephen then you Dorf hear, doesn't move an inch. Doesn't move an inch. And then you hear all of this singing from over the hill and all of the townspeople from when they had the um, boxing match in the village and the people that she was helping to teach English to, they all come, they're singing, they're all there to attend all the funeral. Off hats. You don't get to see what the dad's reaction to it. You just see him notice it. Mm-hmm. He's seeing these people turn up to his daughter's funeral. So clearly all of these people respected her. Mm. And then he's like, you don't get to see him again. Yeah. He he clearly gets this moment of revelation being like all of these people have mm. been affected by what she did. Yeah. And then you don't get to see his outcome. Yeah. But I like that you don't though. Yeah, that was okay because it sort of it trims itself down in terms of storytelling quite well by being quite episodic. Mm. In the fact that we get to a certain point and then it's just that You don't it's need over. this character anymore, we're just following this bit. Because it's like you know, it's chapters of a novel i mm. guess so there are real episodes and it's not one big story it's episodes of a story with overarching themes and so because of that they kind of clip it off at certain points and we're like well we don't need that all that all that storyline is finished and it all builds into and informs our main character he carries that with him we carry it with us as we watch the next things happen but it doesn't have to take up screen time and mm. i think that's part of how it manages to be a little bit more efficient then the next thing that does happen. That's also the quite white saviour when all the townsfolk people turn up singing at a funeral. Like, it's nice and powerful, and I like it. It, it is it quite a, white saviour. It was emotionally but affecting. But it's her funeral. But it's it's not f- him. Yeah. And I like that it's her funeral. And she yeah. was only there. She only went to, like, two of those mm-hmm. classes. And if you were the only white person in the whole town in, what, the 40s trying to teach people English, Everyone there's a chance like- some of them might be... She was all right. <laughs> she's all right. I am also sad that she got beaten to death whilst trying to help us. It's yeah. just, you know, again, Twitter, singing would, Twitter would hate 10 it. minutes late to the funeral, singing over the... Oh yeah, my guys. God, we've got to sing, guys. 
Oh, we can't ne- just walk in. We have to make an entrance. We're nearly finished. <laughs> um, yeah. So straight after that, we get Stevens decided that he's going to run away to Oxford because no. because he has nothing left to live for. Because shit is getting a bit too hot around this his place. his sweet babe is is gone. It's he gone. can't be with her because it's illegal. He's starting to think maybe he can't stop racism. He can't. One man can't stop racism. That's what he believes. That, well, that is true. He, he believes it at that point in time. Yeah, well, he should. Um, it's a very accurate... Yeah, but he believes it at that point in time. Yeah. He um, is powerless to... But that's what he believes at that point in time, that yeah. one man can't stop racism. That's what I believe. Racism. The power of time. one is not enough to stop racism. Well, the power of one doesn't reside within one. <laughs> the power then of one is when everyone comes we together. We get him coming over to... Where is... Like, the village again. And he's fi- he finds his, his, his boxing mate. I think it's a slum, isn't it? Like, it's still the city. It's a different city. I think it's, like, the town the yeah, town over. Well, I think it's... Well, isn't it... A part, oh, it might be the slums of... It's where all, there's all the white people live, and then... But it's still the city, but all the, uh, I guess, like, the black people who work in the city or something, mm. like, they live in their slum town. It's not, like, a rural village. It's just, like, a favela It's still the, the sort of metropolitan area, but it's where they So live. he turns up there, found, the find, finds that they've started a school on their own. And it's like... And the people he's taught are now teaching others. Oh, yeah. And he's about to say, look, I'm going away. He's on the brink of curing racism. But then the friend's like, you can't leave. We've just started. He's like, yeah, I guess... I guess you're right. And they shake hands and he goes, I thought so. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I'm not going to leave. How does the... How does the end thing kick off? I kind of forget. I remember they're still having a party, and because something's good has happened, good is happening, you know something awful is about to happen. Oh, they burn the boxing ring down. That's oh, yeah. what. That's after the funeral because he, he's kept boxing. We didn't really cover that. Yeah, he keeps boxing, then and the, the boxing instructor guy he's painting on the front a black dude and a white dude. Both training to be boxers. The white guys who run the boxing ring are not racist and try to use boxing as a way to bring people together. Because yes. in the ring, we are all equal. Exactly. But and so Daniel DC, Craig turns up. He's having none of that. Awesome scene. He comes in and fucks them all up. Burns a boxing ring down, which is attached to several other businesses. They're he just gone. lights it on fire. That's what you do. That's, That's what, what you, you do, do when you were racist. Yeah, and a police officer. When you is a racist. <laughs> when you was racist, bruv. You gonna burn down several buildings. <laughs> several buildings. You burn right down one building, you don't care how many other buildings burn down. <laughs> this he's, is really historically just, true. He's gotta start that fire. He's <laughs> gotta start that fire, man. Um, fire of hate. Um, so the and fire happens, happens, and then basically it culminates with... PK deciding, yep, sweet, I'm going to come with you and we're going to help these people. And they have a party when he decides this. He's like, yes, I'm not going to go to Oxford. I'm going to stay with you all and we're going to teach people English and we're going to help stop racism. They have a party and the fuzz turn up. DC turns up again immediately. At, at this point, I started to be like, how did none of you anticipate this at all? Because every time... <laughs> Why would you party like, in the street, guys? Come on. Come yeah, on. It's all about- so the police immediately turn up, and the police are just insane. They are just massacring people. They start shooting pretty quickly. They are just shooting civilians in the back as they run away. They're immediately burning buildings, and DC is running around trying to find PK. And um, Captain Officer, who's like in charge of DC, yeah, standing on the back of his truck, taking his time... As he aims at everyone, like, yeah. bang, I'm just going to shoot you. I'm going to take a little walk. 
bang. And he shoots people who run real close, and yeah. they run real close to his truck for some reason. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, yep, watches one person go by, shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a horrifying scene. And then he gets speared in the back. Then someone <laughs> throws a spear at him. So good. Which is such a, like, Wakanda forever moment. <laughs> and it's not a person you've noticed. It's like, not no, a character, just, just a regular person, person has a spear. Some person just saw that happening and was like, I have a spear back at home. I'm going <laughs> to fuck this guy up. I have never used this spear. And it's like, I'm hitting him in the back. I don't give a fuck. And just nails him. <laughs> so we cheered at that moment. It was good. And... Uh, PK ends up finding DC and so DC fight. is beating up one of his friends yeah. asking where the white guy is Yeah, tell me and the guy's like I don't know Then and then PK and PK runs up to him and he's like hey DC take me in you found I'm me I'm the one you want call this off call this off stop killing the innocents and that to me really communicates that PK still had not grasped the situation he's in <laughs> No, because he, well, he is a child. I know people have like bigged you up as the rainmaker and that, but like the white bureaucratic, uh, like military dictatorship rulers, they don't care about you. Like, they're not going to stop shooting innocent people because they've got you. They'll just beat the shit out of you and then go and shoot all these people. <laughs> PK, you do not have this power. Yeah, and DC kind of says that it's like yeah, fucking whatever, mate, and just starts beating each other up. They punch each other a few times. I was waiting for PK to do Giel Pete's eight punch combination. He didn't do it in the whole film. He, ne- I think he does it in like a training scene at one point because someone goes, "Hey, eight punch combination, that's cool." But like, and but he, he he beats him. It would have been so good for him to do the eight punch combination to defeat DC. It would have been cool, but, but that's an action movie trope. That's not a drama yeah. life story trope. It's but it. So PK but PK it, wins the fight. It wouldn't have broken the style of the movie. For <laughs> no, it, wouldn't do. Have. it would have been PK wins the fight. Awesome. DC is bloodied, still handsome, real blue eyes, yeah, he racist on the ground. He doesn't double tap him. Picks up a gun as PK goes to check on his friend. Yeah. And picks then... up a gun. He takes his time aiming because he's got his sweet, sweet um, role model from, from, from his officer, obviously. So he takes yeah. his time aiming. And then the... The boxing man turns up. Is he Gideon? I'm looking at the cast of characters. I don't know what his name was. Maybe he was... Was he Gideon Duma? I don't know. Feels like that could have been him. I don't know. Played by I know what he looks like. Moyo. That's him. I have no idea. Yeah. It's raining. Yeah. Anyway. Um, smacks DC over the face with a yeah. plank of timber. We don't know if he's dead or not because we've established that people can die when they get smacked over the face with a people plank of timber. People did not make it clear if he was dead or not. And I realised they couldn't have PK kill him. Yeah, because he wouldn't. He's too good. Yeah. So that he, he ain't so allowed that to kill. He's allowed over. to punch and he's allowed to punch and do. He's allowed to immobilize, but then check on the wounded. But when it comes time to actually getting shit done and killing a dude, the black guy has to do it. <laughs> so I thought that was a bit of a shame. <laughs> but, oh, okay. Thank God Gideon was there to handle the situation. Of, max him in the face. DC is down because he'd have an because he, he'd have an understanding. Sometimes you got to smoke a bitch. And that is how the film ends. Yeah, and then him and, him and his maybe Gideon, now. instead of going to Oxford, they go off walking around Africa to solve racism. To solve by racism. Teaching because English. one guy can't solve racism, two can. <laughs> but two people <laughs> with the power of one. Two men with the power of one man. <laughs> I have the strength of one man. <laughs> 
they yeah. can go and solve racism. Yeah, and that's basically what the end the end crawl. They says. walk literally into the sunset. They do walk into the sunset, and I like they? that. But then the crawl comes on and preaches at you, and I'm like, well, the film ended like, great. Yeah, we got it, and you ruined it. Mm. Thanks for that. Yeah. It's like it's like when you watch a film at school. And then the teacher, if it's like in a religious class, the teacher goes, okay, let's talk about the morals of the story, guys. It was a note I made watching the movie, which was, this feels like a movie they would make you watch at school. (laughs) Yeah. Especially like around like late 90s, turn of the century. Uh, They'd make you watch this in school. On the TV, they'd have to wheel in. Yeah. That's attached to the thing. And then we'd all have to write, uh, do we have to do a piece of creative writing from the perspective of one of the characters in the film? (laughs) Remember that? I'm going to choose the elephant. And they would have no sense of the tone-deaf nature of making a class of primarily white children do that. (laughs) That's what it felt like. racism is bad. I was was watching, I think you said the same thing. I felt like I'd seen this film. (laughs) This kind of film is in me. Mm. But I just hadn't seen this one. I think I've seen scenes of this. I think it's been on TV. I think when you've seen, like, and it connects to things, it does, it connects to things like Shawshank Redemption and oh, Armistad and like, things that aren't the same but just filmically are related, not in terms of what's actually happening in them. Best um, actor in the film, though. Morgan Freeman. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. It's, Daniel- no- it's nothing we haven't seen Morgan Freeman do before. But he is fantastic. Daniel Craig does. Daniel Craig's job. amazing. I think um, oh, that rain's quite heavy now. For a first, for a first role, for a first movie, I DC's think pretty great. He's really good. He plays a really good sort of unhinged guy. And I was thinking, watching this, like this guy bursts onto the scene with this movie. We say that no one watched it. Um, <laughs> I infer that it cost eighteen million to make, and it made two point eight million, and it was nominated for nothing, which I find surprising. To be honest, I thought it would get something. But I think I think even at the time people were like, "This is addressing complex issues in a simplistic way," which I get. Um, I think because there's so much in it. Like if it was just the prison bit, or if it was just the last bit, yeah, it would have had more time to go into it, and it would have felt maybe less potentially superficial. But because it does all of it, all through the lens of the white, primarily white characters, that's when it starts to feel a bit whatever. But and the title crawls. And the title that's, crawls, that, that's why it doesn't get nominated. Nothing with title crawls gets nominated except Star Wars. But I was thinking, watching this, seeing Daniel Craig in it, you wouldn't have a. It would be very difficult to predict where his career is going to go. Because watching this, you're like, oh, what a great villain. This is a villain actor. Watching this. Yeah, but do you see him as a villain or do you well, see him as like a crazy person? Well, here's the thing. Watching this, I thought, oh, he would. This version of him would make a great Bond villain. Mm. Like. There's a connection. Imagine that. There's a closeness between him and this movie and a Christoph Waltz type. Deaths. You know what I mean? They look similar. For this, and this is like you do the same. I, do, I don't see Daniel Craig in this film as being calculating at all. He's just a reactive person who's just super hmm. angry. Yeah. And like the only person who would be like thinking about what they're doing is his chief, obviously, mm-hmm. who sends him out to do what he does. Yeah. But Daniel Craig, I don't see him he's not a calculating villain. He's not he's not no. a villain. He's just an angry dude who is crazy. I would what well, then I would I would um think I, I could Then s- I would relate him to someone like Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. You know? Just those big eyes, but deadpan. He'd do that really well. He, he's a great he villain actor. And he's played Pretty much no villains after this. Like, it's very, very rare. He plays some sort of dark characters. 
But he's mm. never, I don't know if he's never, we will find out. But he's not he's sure. known as the, the bad guy. And I think that might be kind of his problem today in that I think he got Bond and he brings a really interesting angle and energy to it because he's got that slight energy to him that means he could be unhinged. I think that's the underlying tension to his Bond of this is a guy who could lose it, which is not anything you have with any of the other Bonds. No, the other Bonds are too... And so that works great bland, for Bond. spreadable cheese. But it makes it difficult to know where to put him in other movies because he's not a, so- a warm, likable leading man like a Tom Cruise or a Chris Pratt or something like that. But he's also yeah, not, he's not. He's not. He's not a family friendly. He doesn't no. feel family friendly. And so I think that's why he's, and also because he's trying to expand his range, he's popping up in these real sort of off kilter things like Logan Lucky and Knives Out. And now he's now that he's finishing Bond, he's going to have to try and navigate this transition to what does he do now? now someone like John I'm, Jarrett becomes a slasher film. <laughs> like <laughs> right down another tangent. You know what? Well, that could something something like that could work. He needs another strong choice coming out of Bond. He needs to John Wick it, I reckon. Well, but not in Keanu. Keanu similar similar position that he's not someone who you can stick in anything. He needs something that with a strong stylistic sense that he can fit in, like he fit in the Matrix and he's fitting in this. His times when he's tried to step outside of that have been shitty, like the Lake House. But you didn't like the Lake House, Sam. There's other actors around Daniel Craig's age and their point in his career who don't have this problem. Like, you didn't like The Lake House? We're not going back to that, Isaac. <laughs> Idris Elba Ooh, yeah. can slide into a lot of things. He Liam, can be villainous and heroic. Liam Neeson can slide into a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, a third one. But, yeah, he's... <laughs> this you know, is why... There would be a third one somewhere who could be both heroic and villainous. You know who has the same energy issue? Clive Owen. See, I don't love Clive Owen. I love him in some things, but I think he's Clive Owen in to find certain things. His group, yeah. But he's at the moment all I see of Clive Owen is things like TV's Day of the Triffids. Did you watch um, American Crime Story? No. You know what it is though. Yes. There's the OJ Show, and yes. then the um, Gu- not Gucci. What is it? Armani. Uh, the assassination shot? of Versace. Versace, that's yeah. it, with Daniel, with Daniel Chris. Yeah. Of, uh, Giovanni Versace. Um, you know when we did Gemini Man? Mm-hmm. And we bitched quite a lot. And we have, and it comes up in other episodes, just complaining about Clive Owen's American accent <laughs> and how he ha- he just has a real, like, white English guy look and energy and he's not good at American accents and he shouldn't do it anymore. He's in the new series of American Crime Story playing Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> What's the crime? <laughs> um, the impeachment stuff with Monica Lewinsky and stuff. That's the crime story. Well, yeah, they're taking us, you know, like a generous interpretation of... But, it's, you know, it's the legal drama of the whole thing, you know. But the other two have involved murder. Yeah. Murder. Murder. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yeah. Nice. It's Thanks. almost as good as my blood diamond. I like the Blood Diamond more. So you like this movie? I like this... Okay. There's a thing. What's our scale? What's the scale? Because it's well, got to be DC-based. We just have... Well, let's say... On a scale of... We can only... No, we can only rate... Here's what we do. <laughs> we just rank it in terms of DC movies. As in like... And each time we watch a new one, we have to figure out where oh, in the ranking yes. So this is now... This not, is like our Top Gear rating. So this is now first and last. <laughs> 
This is the fir- this is the best and also worst Daniel Craig film that we've watched. Thus because far. in 1992, that was true. <laughs> It was the best and worst, and also his most middle-of-the-range movie. Mm. Um, but then, next time, when we, hopefully, if we can find it, watch A Kid in King Arthur's Court, then that will either be the best or worst. <laughs> and then I have we... a feeling about that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could be better than The See, Power but of are one. we ranking them, though, on Daniel Craig in them, or the movie itself. I think we should do it as a confusing and unspecified mixture of those two things. Okay, because in this one, Daniel Craig is great. Yeah. In Kid and King Arthur's Court, I don't yeah. think anyone is great. Uh, well, you know, I haven't seen it, Isaac. Well, I've seen it, but 15 years ago, probably more. How old are we? It was 1995. More than 15 years ago did I see So a three-year gap between this and that. Oof. So, Dude, what was he doing? I don't know. TV. I guess, yeah, he's just get get Living that out. life on the bill. Yeah, getting in <laughs> casualty and midsummer murders hey, and stuff. are you that guy from The Power of One? Yes, actually, I am. <laughs> Did uh, you like it? Yeah, I like that rating idea. I just came up with it. <laughs> are we going to now do that for weeks and weeks and weeks? Yes, I, we are going to do that. we can't pull out of it. We can, we, have you got Excel on your computer? And then at the we end... Can, we, can, we can make an Excel spreadsheet and I'll publish make a, it. I'll make an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> And then at the end, we can say what Daniel Craig's best movie is. We will. Or and the we'll worst. say what our opinion of the best and worst Daniel Craig movies are. Well, we were the only people who've watched them all and made this determination, so... Probably. I'm sure Therefore, Daniel's mum. I think... Probably not. Well, I think also <laughs> She's now... She's probably never seen a kid in King Arthur's Court either. I think you're the only one. No, a lot of people have seen it. It's been on Disney Channel heaps. I think now also we should officially launch our campaign... Of get Daniel Craig on the pod. Okay, come Dan- on, Danny DC. Please D- D- come on the D- bag. We don't. That's not going to help. <laughs> Daniel, we look. We Sir, are Sir Craig. We are already big fans, and by the end of this project, we will be the biggest and most knowledgeable fans of you, maybe in the world. At we least in this city, would love to talk to you about. Your experiences, and you know what? I'll say this right off the gate: we won't talk about Bond at all because I know you hate it. We won't even <laughs> mention James Bond. We're going to talk about it when you're not around. But you come in, we'll and we'll talk, talk about, about all your other stuff. We'll talk about Road to Perdition, Munich, Layer Cake, The Adventures of Tintin. Oh, Remember that one? Layer Cake. We'll talk, and we'll talk about the future and what you're excited so, about, or whatever you want. Daniel Craig, just come on the pod. Come in the studio. Come in the stewed. Look, we know there. you're going to be around. So we know you're going to be pop, taking. Just pop in, man. We know you're taking a bit of a break because no movies are being made because <laughs> of that which will not be named. So please, like, I know you can't really pop it. We could Skype you. And look, anyone out there, if you know Daniel Craig, <laughs> please reach out. Reach out to his manager. If you know someone who knows someone who knows Daniel Craig, we will not rest until this happens. I will probably rest. Well, you have to. You're very weak after your isolation. <laughs> you're like a baby lamb. I've yawned so many times. Yeah. And it is weird. And have you you've been, yawned none. Have you been going to bed early? Like an old person? Like a shut-in? Like you get, No, I haven't. Like your body starts to close down But I've eventually. still been waking up early. Okay. Because you've got to keep that hustle going. Got to keep that... Got to, got to keep that castle going. Yeah, okay. All right. So Isaac's, Isaac's power levels are low. <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. Everything's the same. If you're enjoying the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Exceptional Thieves or send us an email at exceptionalthieves at gmail.com. Not changing any of that. Because What's the intro going to be like? Um, Are there new tunes? 
Maybe. We could do a Daniel Craig themed one, couldn't we? It's just Bond. And people think that it's a yeah. Bond podcast. Let's just but use... It's definitely not a let's Bond. Let's just use the entirely copyrighted, <laughs> copyrighted James Bond music. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> well, this was a great start. I'm so glad the first movie was this. That was so much That's such a good movie. I'm feeling really excited Isn't, about this I, project. I'm, I'm in a, on a high right now and also quite fearful for the next several films. There's a couple on here... I'm worried about, but this is chronological, though, yeah. Oh, return, return to theme in the year 2000. He does. I dreamed of Africa. God, sweet. He goes back to Africa. Does he though? Sometimes I wonder. Because that film could just be about dreaming of it. Yeah, just someone else somewhere in. It's, it's Shutter Island, but just called I dreamed of Africa. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, it turns out you're just in a zoo. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace. <laughs>